Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Well, thanks for coming on, Tim. It's been uh it's been interesting uh your story to follow just just uh holistically i was actually like looking at some of your bio today and i hadn't realized that you are actually a movie star as well in the shape of harry potter if i'm not mistaken <laughs> i was like a, a stunt extra on it yeah i worked a few weeks and i realized the movie industry is not all that it's made out to be it was it was interesting for about a day and then you realize how much you're just waiting around and set. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun experience. Yeah. I did a commercial shoot once that was like maybe 45 to 60 seconds long. And we spent an entire day of just repeating over and over again. I think just like the, you, I had to run like maybe a 50 meter stretch of ground and just the amount of times we had to do the take. I probably ran more during that than I did during whatever run I was going to do that day. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. All that deceleration, it takes its toll as well, right? Every time you got to slow yeah. down. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had, a, I, I was an extra on a movie for Chuck Norris, you know, the, the martial arts guy. It was, wow. a, it, was yeah. it was a movie that was, uh, it was, uh, I can't, it was called sidekicks. It was like, I've never even seen the movie. I think it was kind of a stupid movie, but, they had us, we were supposed to be like these VIPs walking into a fight scene, you know, like it, it was like a, you know, like a crowd scene and, and they kept, you know, doing the fight scene. So they had to kind of keep doing take after take after take. And so they yeah. stuck us off camera and they put us in the actor's break room and we just kept eating all their food. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Tim, welcome, man. Thanks for coming on. You know, I think, uh, you know, this is uh, something that I think you've got a really interesting story. I mean, you know, I think we'll get into some of this stuff, but let me, let me ask you, cause you were a very high level accomplished athlete. I assume, I don't know if you're still, if you're still going back to that and doing some competition stuff, but tell me a little bit about like, you know, growing up and then how you got into sports and stuff like that, because I think that's interesting. And then talk about, cause you were doing, uh, I guess, was it, was it obstacle course type stuff or what was it? What was the actual specialty where you had like one of the best in the world type of things? Yeah. Uh, parkour is one of the, the original name for it. Uh, it's a French word that means obstacle coursing, but they changed the C to a K cause it was, it had a little more edge to it. And then it sort of, it, as it trans- came over the pond or from France to England, they, they, one of the guys renamed it free running to try and translate it. So it's sort of like running through an environment or moving through an environment, mainly urban environments with a, a bit of freedom. So taking the A to B route as the crow would fly, but across the walls and the railings and things like that. So yeah, it is sort of an obstacle coursing event. Um, but with free running, they started to add more flips and somersaults on, on concrete and uh, a bit more flair to it. And so that was uh, originally I got into, I played soccer like most, most people in Britain. And then I got into breakdancing. I was always amazed with the human body. It really, it fascinates me and it really is, I've, I've come to understand why I was so fascinated as I've got older more. But breakdancing was my original love. And then I got into free running and then um, came second in the first world championships and thought I should probably take this more seriously. I, I stopped breakdancing and focused full time on, on free running. 
and then won the World Championships the year after that. But it's, it's quite a pure sport in the fact that I didn't like train. You don't have a coach and you're training all these movements. It's up to you to be creative. You're judged on creativity and execution and flow and difficulty. And it, it was, it's still very young, you know. Um, and so I did fairly successful at that. And then, of course, Ninja Warrior came across from uh, Japan. It was called Sasuke. And I was born in Connecticut, so I've got a U.S. passport. I was able to, to compete in maybe season three, I think, of American Ninja Warrior, filmed on Venice Beach out in L.A., and did all right, um, but it's a very, it's a steep learning curve because you get no practice on the course. But my parkour background helped me get so far, and I, my English accent got me invited back for the next year. And I, I managed to do better, better each season and made the finals once it grew to the stage where they'd have the Vegas finals. And that I made that twice as an American, and then I stopped having to, it's a bit of a long flight just to compete. To, if you fall in the water, you, your game's done. So if, I stopped competing as an American, but then they wanted the European team and they, they you know, flew me over to compete as a, as a European athlete. I think the first two seasons of that, I was a, not a vegan. And then as I, later on, I became a vegan and, and was competing within my first few years as that. But that's sort of my main resume. Then, I, then later on, I became, I, the UK finally got a Ninja Warrior. And I, uh, on two of the seasons, I got the furthest. So they call it Last Man Standing on season one and season four of the UK one. And they're in season five. I didn't do season five because I was, I was water fasting at the time, trying to solve my issues. And then season six hasn't been filmed yet. So that, that's sort of my athletic background to now. So you're, you're still kind of actively doing that. I mean, I, you know, because I saw some of the parkour stuff early on, and I just thought it looked crazy. I mean, just as a big surge, I was like, man, those guys are breaking ankles and calcaneuses. And I mean, it's just impressive. And I've seen some just amazing, like, people doing flips through the air while they're putting their clothes on and off. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just it's beyond mind-boggling on the stuff people do and you know you, you know obviously i guess you could be a damn uh stuntman in a movie you know because you know some of the stuff you you know you're able to do have you did you ever get seriously hurt doing any of that stuff um i never got interested i never broke a bone doing free running it's it's far more calculated than i think people are aware when it comes to they put it in the category of of skateboarding and bmxing and, and it, understandably why but in a way, you don't have that variable. Like with skateboarding and BMXing, you've got this variable that man has created within the last 50 years, and you're playing with that toy and the environment. With parkour, it's just your body and the environment. And if, you're, if you test everything and check everything's stable, then the only awareness then comes down to your body. Can I make that jump? Is my, have I got the strength in me? Do I have the courage? I've, you know, and and it's, it's a bit of a, a play with fear, but it's not reckless as people think. And it, and it really instilled a lot of, sort of not fearlessness but a lot of faith in who i in myself physically and then beyond that and i think that that's that's lasted yeah tim i want to dive into that a little bit because that was one of the things i was really interested in and i'm, I'm interested in this across the board with the sports that are like extreme sports and things like bmx biking skateboarding like motocross these sports where you tend to see the end product and it's just mind-boggling to me that like the, the ease of which it looks like guys like you and these BMXers are, are doing these sort of things. Um, and it's like one of those things when you start to try to unpack it as like an outsider looking in, you, you get further and further back and you realize at some point they had to like have made the decision. I'm going to start to learn to use my body in this way and start with like small things that are very low risk. And then just maybe add a little more over time as you get better and eventually get to this point where you're doing something that looks entirely absurd to any other human being it is how did that progression happen with you like i know you mentioned the break dancing but was there at any other point in life where you were just like 
okay, I got to learn how to move my body like this. And once I do that, I can start kind of adding this in. And how did that kind of progress? It, it was very natural and organic. I just followed my inspiration and my, my, I was just the kid that just loved being upside down and climbing on walls. And I did it without a name. And then when I discovered there was a TV show that aired in England before anywhere else called Jump London and then following one called Jump Britain. And it was these, it was originated in France and it was these French guys free running around England. And I was working part-time at McDonald's at the time and I was on my break and I saw it on the TV and I was like, well, I'm going to, I turned it off and said, I'm going to watch that when I get home and focus and watch this whole thing and, you know, change my life from there. But it's, it was a very innate thing in my, in my human in seeing these people being able to control their bodies and have that much. And I saw it as a faith thing. They weren't afraid. They were, they were in control the whole time. And at a younger age, you have more confidence that it's not, you don't focus on being the best in the world. You focus on just learning the little things you can learn. And then as, as, as time progresses, you, you see the people you're around and you know, oh, I'm actually all right at this thing. And, and it comes from there, like any child, having the goal of being the best in the world is not, it's not a key, a good motivation. It's not pure, that pure. Like it works for some people, but for me, it, I noticed my path looking backwards, I wasn't trying to be the best at anything, you know? Yeah, you know, I was, uh, what would you said kind of parallels with uh, a while back I was watching the Alex Honnold documentary, uh, Free Solo, and they asked him about kind of a similar question that I asked you, and he kind of said like, well, when it comes to a sport where there's this big component of fear, essentially what you do is you get right up to where your comfort level is, you know, a little a little sketchy, and you just normalize that. And once you've normalized that, you push it a little further, you normalize that. And before you know it, you're halfway up a half dome with no ropes attached to you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. exactly the, that's exactly the process. And again, with his sport, my sport, you know, they ask it, there's no, I mean, he is, and I can't even come close to comparison, but there's no real best in this stuff. You know, it's just a human, he's good at that thing. And on the certain day, the criteria that I was doing the world championships, I fitted that criteria and did well. But it, when it comes to the better sports, it's like, like uh, that, that realm, it's just free roaming and, and trying to make it competitive is trying to capture something and, and takes away in, 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 a, in a sense. But that's, and there's other things like, like you guys do. And I got into running through obstacle racing. I thought if I could run, I could do it, do it well. And just that, like, that's a different training to me is having that, um, putting yourself in a science lab and hitting, you know, doing track workouts, hitting times every time you're around the track. And that's so exciting as well. So I like both the sort of freedom to express yourself and then, following the protocol is nice yeah i wonder what the you know i guess for the ninja stuff you've got to train a little bit specifically and i mean what kind of stuff did you do outside of just doing the you know doing the free running i mean was there any kind of weight weightlifting routine sprinting routine plyometric routine what kind of stuff was goes into the training for that sport so for ninja warrior most of my training and it's injured my body was really starting to fall to pieces towards the latter few years all I could do, and it worked so well in the end, was just hanging, <laughs> nothing explosive. So I, I could hang and I could swing, but I couldn't like do powerful pull-ups. I could in the earlier stage. And if you see my earlier runs compared to my later runs, you could notice a difference in my performance. But I, I adapted. I'm pretty impressed with how I adapted. But it was mostly just hanging because from young, being younger and doing parkour, I had the agility. All I needed really was the forearm stamina. That's one of the latest things that comes with the forearm stamina. You need obviously the core strength. A lot of it's swinging and momentum movements rather than just being able to do one arm chin ups or something. So really most of my training for Ninja Warrior was a lot of hanging and then the agility came from my parkour background. 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously a lot of people are going to want to talk us to talk to you about the, the, the stuff with the, you know, the veganism and, and, and all this stuff. So I think we should probably kind of translate. So let me ask you, because, you know, you grew up, you know, in, well, I guess in England, most people born in Connecticut, um, you know, you're running around. I mean, at what point did you even consider nutrition as a component of your mm-hmm. sport? I mean, you know, what were you eating early on? I mean, I know for me, I, you know, I'm in my fifties now and I, I really didn't sort of sort of take, take, take much heed to nutrition until I got into my forties when I started seeing that I couldn't just try train everything. So where, where were you are from a diet? And then when did you, what prompted you to, to sort of transition to a vegan diet? And, and so talk about where you were before and then what made you do, make the decision to do that? Yeah. So I was always a lean, lean child, pretty ripped in school, had a six pack, eight pack. And then when I got to about 18, I, I sort of gained a lot of weight. I had a knee injury, and I remember recovering from this knee injury, but I, could, I had surgery on my knee, tore my meniscus, which is, as any athlete knows, is horrible to go through that process. And this is when I was 18, didn't know anything about recovery or nutrition. And every night I'd watch the US office on my laptop while I made some cheese and ham on toast, which, you know, I think it's probably set me up badly into my 20s, no knowledge of nutrition and didn't help the recovery. Of course, now it's like mine, you know, moved so far forward, but I, and then I, 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 you know, I got through it. I recovered and got veganism. I became vegan about seven years ago. I was 24. And that was my first ever actual application of nutrition. I, I was fine. You know, when you're young twenties, you got that, you're still fresh enough that you can sort of eat whatever. I wasn't ridiculously reckless, but I would have a fast, fast food once or twice a week. Um, I would always have a pack of crisps and a chocolate bar every day. Like that stuff is standard, like household food, you know? Um, and then when I became vegan was the first time I actually consciously addressed nutrition. And that, and that was where my journey began on nutrition. And so I went on six years of that sort of for the last few years. I, I, I know I always knew the first few years I felt fantastic and I felt better and I lost weight and I felt lighter and, and a lot of things improved. And then I started to notice something wasn't quite right and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I could, I, looking at all the science within veganism, I, it made total sense to me. It seems fine. I listened to it all. I tried to solve all my issues that within veganism. So raw, raw veganism seemed to be this community of people who they seemed healthier and lighter. And maybe to some degree, some of them are. There's, it's a different mindset and realm that they're, they're in. So definitely uh, spiritually and in many ways. But that seemed closer to the truth of what I was trying to get to. And I was trying to solve things in a quite an ancestral way, but maybe I was looking too far into the past. Just the fact that raw foods, it, it made sense to me, like nature doesn't cook anything. But of course, if I grew up on raw foods, my whole gut might be built a completely different way. Just like if, if I grew up um, an Eskimo or something, I would grow up a, a certain way. Whereas I ate my mum's cooked food my whole childhood. So my digestion is built to process it a certain way. So just because I've got a set of beliefs that this fruit that's important from wherever and all this raw salad, is, is good for me. It might have been good at some stage of humanity, but for everything I've, I've and, and my, and maybe a certain uh, a race or close to the equator or anything, but, but it, it took me years to identify that, that I would never felt satiated on it. And, and this got worse and worse. If you, if you want me to carry on, I'll, I'll go into Yeah, let me, let me just interrupt him and go back because, so at the beginning, you know, you're a 24 year old guy, you're, you're already kind of a decent athlete. You're doing the parkour, you're starting, I don't know, had you already taken up, you'd, you'd already been on the ninja. The American one, I hadn't done the UK American one. So you'd already started doing the ninja sports. And so you're already kind of made decent progress as an athlete. And then, 
I mean, what was the, what was the, I mean, was it sort of uh, a message that, Hey, I want to help the environment. Hey, I want to help the animals. Or was it a purely health decision that made you go vegan? What was it? What was it? What was it? What was it? What was it that influenced you to make that decision? It was, it was purely first and foremost, the animals. It was, I was raised to be a kind human by my mother, not to hurt others, treat others as you want to be treated. And then I realized I'd never looked at the food choices as hurting animals. I'd ne you know, I liked, I never had a pet because I didn't want to mistreat the pet and it suffer because of my ill, Ill awareness. Um, and so when I saw that and I saw the Gary Rovsky video and I saw these animals being harmed and heard him talk and, and saw that you can live and thrive and be fine without animals. I was like, what is going on? And so then I took that and tried to express that to my mother, you know, you raised me not to hurt animals. And yet we're doing it. Why, you know, go vegan with me kind of thing. And my parents never, never grasped it. And it would cause a lot of friction with my parents, a lot of tension. And, and I, my mom, I was like, mom, if you're going to eat an animal, you should be able to kill it. And she's like, I could never kill an animal, but then she'd happily eat them. And I just couldn't, this just wouldn't fit in my head. It took years for me, to, you know, till very recently to kind of under, truly understand and unpack what's gone on psychologically for me to, to go down this path. Yeah, yeah you know, and, or I was just going to add, I think like one thing that I find really interesting when people go down that path is that essentially everyone now, certainly in modern society, have been removed from the, the food system to a degree. And it seems like if you're kind of completely oblivious to it and you start mm -hmm. looking at that, you get to a point where you realize if I eat this animal, you know, I'm killing the animal in order to live. Whereas if I eat this plant, I'm not killing the animal in order to live. And if you stop right there, you find yourself at this place of like, okay, this is guilt-free living from the consumer standpoint of food eating. But then if you actually keep pushing forward and realize kind of what has to happen within the food system or get that plant on your plate, you start to notice the deaths of, you know, animals in the process of that. And you kind of ultimately get to this point like where if I want to do anything but breathe oxygen, I'm going to, something's going to need to die in order for me to live, you know, longer than, you know, however long it would take you to starve to death, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting too, because it's like, we're, we're all, I guess, I don't want to say guilty because you kind of like you're in it. We're all in the, in a modern society, not necessarily by our choice, but by the happens of circumstances. And, you know, like, I don't know what the remedy to that is other than trying to get closer to the food systems. I've, I've given this quite a bit of thought and I'm thinking like, I mean, the, the easiest path I see would be through the education system. If like our education system was proactive enough to recognize the value of human nutrition and, like recognizing what the food systems do for us and actually took like elementary school children, you know, out into these environments as opposed to in desks and school buildings, uh, you know, maybe that helps with it. But um, those are just like my two cents, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I, I, fundamentally, that's what I realized. It's, I, it's would have been our ancestors or our parents or our grandparents job to raise us with the awareness to take us to the farm shop. And, and because, of modern society with all the supermarkets we never see that stage so i was raised with an immaturity towards it and a lack of awareness and so when i first it blew my mind to be 24 years old and realize an animal suffering for my choice we should be taught that much younger and then and then and grow to an understanding of it but to, to be taught that as an older person and have that realization it, it was a snap in my head and that's what traps you in veganism is because you 
it's an uh, emotional decision and you're, you're old enough to be st so strong-willed that you're like, rah, everyone doesn't get this. I get this. We need to help everyone realize what's going on. Where some people just were raised around farms and understand it or they've done their own exploration. But to tell everyone that this is a solution for everything, it, it's just not actually the case. And it, it came from that place of an emotional decision, not a rational decision. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue is that there probably is no one solution for everyone. And I think, I think it's naive in any way we can think we can, we can sort of, you know, make everyone eat a certain way for health or, or for saving the environment or for, you know, ethical things. I think there's too much nuance to that. So let me go back to, so you're 24, you adopt veganism. Now some, a lot of people will say they feel better. I mean, they'll, I mean, depending on what they give up, you know, whether they say they give up meat or dairy or, in many cases, it's processed food. We know that, like you pointed out, a lot of young guys, I see a lot of guys in professional sports that have just an absolutely horrible diet. I mean, if you look at them and they're, and they're, mm -hmm. they're big, they're strong, they're ripped, they're excellent athletes, and they're eating junk food. So there is some, some capacity where people don't realize that youth and health aren't necessarily the same thing. You can do a lot of things when you're young, but you can't do them when you're a little bit older. So did you get a period where, hey, I'm now I'm a vegan, and I, you know, I feel better about what I'm doing ethically, and, and certainly I know that was a big component. I know you started a, a, a company, in fact, called Ethic or Ethics, mm -hmm. which was the whole reason you did this. And I mean, I don't think, I don't think it was anyone would doubt your motives. I mean, I know there's people that say, well, you were never a vegan because, you know, so on and so forth. But I mean, certainly you were doing it for an ethical reason, which is what I think the whole point is. But did you get a period where, hey, I, I, I legit, legitimately felt better, my performance got better? And was that, was that something you had early on? Yeah, I think the first two years, certainly. Um, Cause, and I think that's what it comes down to is cutting out dairy because I still have very, like we can talk about where that's at, but dairy definitely is a big one to cut out. And then just eating probably less bread and, and things like that. I, I just cut out, yeah, really cutting out a lot of junk. My body had a chance to detox and cleanse. And then some of the, the few years after that, I think just being driven by the, by the belief system of, of being sort of a righteous spirit, you know, you're like that, that, gave me fuel when I was competing. That was my, one of my sources of inspiration. I'm representing the future, the meat-free athlete, you know, um, while managing slowly worsening health issues, blaming it all on my pre-vegan lifestyle choices, not on the, the veganism, which, yeah, took me a while. Yeah, I mean, I do see a lot of that. I mean, I think, you know, you see that maybe you cut out some junk food, you cut out some dairy, you feel better. And then you take up this sort of ethical sort of thing and you want to prove to the world, yes, I can do it. And so you may, you, you focus hard. Maybe you say, look, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Uh, and it may be, you know, maybe a source of inspiration because there's a lot of things. There's a lot of people. I mean, we had Rob Jones on the, on the podcast. He's got no legs and he's out there on the U.S. Paralympic rowing team. He's ridden his bike across the United States. He's run, wow. you know, he ran 30 marathons in 30 days. And so, there are people with the, with the, when you have the willpower there, you can overcome a lot of obstacles. And my, my yeah. sort of, sort of hypothesis would be that, you know, yes, you can do pretty well, but I mean, I think you're still limiting yourself. And so tell me like, um, cause you got, you got heavily criticized for this because you tried everything you possibly could. Like I said, you were very ethically attached to what you were doing. And so when it started to fail, I mean, I assume you didn't start out, on you know doing these kind of kind of things most people criticize you for i would assume at the beginning you were eating a relatively whole food plant-based diet correct me if, if i'm wrong no, but where right. did you start 
and then you ended up trying like everything possible, you know, and then you were heavily criticized for trying other things outside the box. Um, yeah. Tell me about like what your diet was like prior to you noticing and at what point you started to notice health deterioration. How did that appear? So when I was at my, at my best, I was eating whole food, plant-based vegan, but I still sensed something wasn't quite right. And I, and I don't know if it's in the, in the weightiness of the carbs I was eating or, or, or something. And I, I went to raw food and I felt lighter and clearer and, and many things, but there was just something I, in my body that just was like not happy. And it's so hard to put a finger on until they, the voices really started to get louder. And really towards the later end, I realized I was, I was never satiated. And so I was overeating and whether that was whole food, plant, I tried whole food plant-based. I tried, uh, like high carb diet, which was the main one for athletes going vegan over the YouTube time um, that it was. I, try, I tried high fat vegan. I tried junk food vegan and try eating with no guilt. I was like, how about I just try for a month and have no guilt on what I'm eating and see if there's a guilt, the guilt as, a, as a, an effect. And that was an interesting experiment. Um, I played with supplements. I didn't go do as many supplements as other vegans would have liked me to have done, but that I did enough for me to understand that that game and I spoke to enough other vegans that were supplementing and uh, I had a B12 injection before that never felt natural to me. Um, and then I, I got into other things like urine therapy, which for me as the human who living that experience, I felt benefits from it for years. It, it lasted for years. I felt benefits and, um, but that's a, a taboo thing for, for most people to talk about, but I spoke about it openly as, as I think humans should be open. Then it got to a point when I, I was doing these festivals with my clothing company. I was going to vegan festivals and I would eat the, some of the vegan junk food at, at the festivals um, and I'd feel really shit. And then I'd go home and then I'd, I'd sort my diet out for a week and I'd feel a bit better, but my, my spine was starting to really, the only way to describe it is calcification. Like it was felt like it's 33 different bones, right? And they should, somewhat move individually and it felt like they were turning into especially the, the upper part of my thoracic was turning into one stiff bone and it would have these these cracks on it that just was not pleasant and then i'd go i'd overeat because I, I wasn't satiated and so i started to think have i got some emotional eating disorder i can't stop eating till the moment i go to bed and so fasting was something that i looked into as like okay, I've, I'm, I'm not eating. When I eat, I'm, I'm having, I've got hemorrhoids and a, a bleed. When I wipe my, you know, when I wipe, I see blood on the tissue. And I had this weird depression that I didn't really know I had until it was gone because I just sort of was following the path of things I was guided to do. I just followed things that, that I tried things that came to me and I'd experiment and I'd sit with myself daily to see what was actually working and what wasn't but all within the realms of veganism. And then I eventually, uh, early last year, I tried fasting and I felt great. I did my first 48 hour fast. I mean, I did intermittent many times before it. I did my first 48 hour fast and I felt great. My symptoms started to go down and I thought there's something to this fasting. So I did further and further research into fasting and it seemed like, because you always hear of everything's like a cure all and this supplement will cure everyone. And, and I'm always looking for the simple solutions that's accessible to all humans. I really believe we've got the answers within us, around us. And, and if I thought if I could solve my issues and, and clear all these issues that were from my pre-vegan days, come back to the op perfect optimum human diet, which is veganism, then I can help others in the same, same situation. So I did a, a fast along. I was going to do seven days. 
I did a lot of research reading books from Dr. Herbert Shelton, who fasted people for 40, 50, 60 days. Uh, spoke to some people from, there's a clinic in uh, San Francisco who fast people regularly for 40 plus days. And I spoke to these people and it just seemed like a very normal thing. And as I was the human living the experience of, of this extended water fast, I felt fine every day. I, I felt relaxed. I didn't have energy to do things. I was chilling out at home, but I didn't feel like I was going to die. I didn't feel, you know, any, any danger that people think I was going to starve. Like I, and I got to day 33, 34, and then 30 on the 35th day I woke up and my heart wasn't in it I didn't feel right and I said right tomorrow means I break my fast and I break my fast I came back uh, to veganism while during the fast most all of my symptoms went my spine felt great again coming out of the fast I felt I could fall asleep like a child in any position I was really completely relaxed all the inflammation had gone from my body so now was just the case of building all my strength back up and and I'll be a great happy healthy human representing veganism better than ever before and to come back to it, and all, and within two weeks, three weeks, there's there's uh, blood on on my stool again. I'm starting to see that I'm overeating um, again, and like never satisfied. And so I started to speak to a few friends, uh, Drew Morg being one of them. My other friend Greg, a guy who I met in Thailand who recently did a forty, he did a forty day fast about three months before me. And so he'd come back to raw veganism, fruitarian, which he believed to be the optimum diet. And I was speaking to him, so he was a, a few months ahead of me, and he'd, his teeth were getting rotten, and he had these issues, and he said he started to incorporate uh, butter and raw eggs, and he was feeling amazing, and had all this energy, and was playing volleyball all day, and, and I'd seen him in Thailand previously, really emaciated. And so I started to put the pieces together in my head, and thought, the universe is trying to tell me something here. Maybe, you know, after all I've done, the last thing I... Wanted to do, well, the second to last thing I would do was this fast because I love food. Who would ever stop and, and not eat for 35 days? Beyond that, the second to last thing, or the very last thing, sorry, would be to consume an animal product. But the but the, God is a comedian, and and I don't I'm, I don't find a lot of things funny, but I couldn't help but laugh at this. I thought, what if is that's the case? I've built my whole life, who I am, my image is this vegan role model, and my clothing company and my customers are all vegan. And yet I think God wants me, if I really want my health back, he wants me to not be this anymore. And I thought that was such a, a beautiful lesson in, in, within all this, was to let go of that. And so I found a, a new understanding through, through people like yourself. Phil Escott really helped me, I think, as well as a, a UK guy. And I bought some local uh, eggs from the local farm shop and bought some wild-caught salmon. And I sat down and, I, and it was the understanding that my choices were killing animals anyway. Like just to, just to accept that even when I'm buying these uh, vegan foods, Animals are still dying for my choices. So why not eat an, when an animal has died and I get the nourishment from that and I, can, and I know that I can pray for that animal and give thanks rather than not knowing the animal and it just being some, in a field eaten by some, some birds somewhere. So I sat and I, I had in my own privacy and had these eggs and this salmon and, and uh, as the, the story that went quite viral is that very night after I had my first bit of salmon, I had a wet dream and... I felt warmer and I felt this depression lift and realized that this, this fog I was living in from this, from everything, from the, the biological aspects of eating veganism to the psychological aspects of being within that, that community was all starting to lift. And, uh, and I realized this was the path that I had to take to regain my health and had a new understanding of the way our ancestors lived and that there is suffering in our choices, regardless of what we're doing. And we, and just, 
it helped release my suffering in the understanding and acceptance and this let go of this denial that, that my choices were causing harm to others. And that was this perfect, uh, you know, cruelty free dietary choice, which just doesn't exist. Yeah, Tim, I think like one thing you mentioned there was that's interesting to me is like, when you go back enough into the history and kind of a relationship with food, you'll find these fairly elaborate ceremonies that are around food consumption. And it's not just like kind of modern where we grab it, eat it, you know, you think twice about it. And you look at like Native American culture here in the United States, like when they would have a hunt and they would kill something, you know, they would, you know, they would, uh, they'd have ceremonies around that. It wasn't just, okay, cool. We killed this thing. Now let's eat it. It was like, they wanted to thank, the the creature for giving it its life for them to kind of pass on their their life um and it's like that's the type of connection to food i start to see people like yourself kind of finding where um you're recognizing that you know there's going to be there's going to be death in my choice to live and uh you know i may as well be thankful and be appreciate it if i'm going to do that and go that route yeah Now for a word from our sponsors. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox offers you convenience by delivering your meat right to your door with free shipping. They also offer quality by having options such as 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, heritage breed pork, and free-range chicken, They also offer value with their goal to make clean meat accessible to as many people as possible by partnering with a collective of small farms. They are able to deliver you the best products for less than $6 per meal. They often run promos on their website for subscribers to get things like free pork or free bacon. If you enter promo code HPO at checkout, you can also knock an additional $20 off your first subscription. So head over to butcherbox.com and place your first order. Now back to the show. Yeah. Tim, Tim I think it's it's fascinating. I mean, you know, because you're, you know, you're you're, you know, you've got this sort of um, ethical dilemma and you're trying to stay within the confines of that and the things you have to sort of put your body through to try. And, you know, I mean, I, I think you, you know, no one would fault you for trying whatever you can to stay true to your ethics and, and you know some people say well, you're doing all these crazy things but it sounded like you were starting out doing what most people would consider a healthy vegan diet and it just didn't work and for whatever reason uh whether it's your body or the diet itself it just didn't work for you individually and i think people will get out there and criticize you and say that well there's nothing wrong with a vegan diet it's just you just don't know how to do it i mean i'm sure we've all heard it. you just weren't doing it right um, you know, a couple of things you talked about, I mean, obviously with the fasting, I mean, there's a lot of data out there that suggests that it's beneficial for people. There's a lot of people in all the communities, whether it's the vegan community or the, uh, the, you know, the more of the sort of low carb communities. I mean, fasting has become very popular and it seems to be beneficial. You know, we had Cole Robinson on, he talked a little about the urine therapy as well. And his, his, his main thought was it might be due to the urea content, you know, and that he talked about in, in skincare products, urea was utilized. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, I'm not an advocate of, of urine therapy personally, but I mean, I do see that a lot of people, when they eat an animal-based diet, you know, they, they are exposed to more urea I mean, in your body. So I mean, there may be an overlap there. There may be some mechanistic mm-hmm. rationale as to why that may be beneficial. I think maybe it's just, you know, getting enough, getting, getting the urea, which 
may or may not be negative. I mean, there's there's a lot of controversy about what you read. Yeah, I mean, because, I, was, I mean, we do we do ex, we do excrete it for sure. I mean, yeah. there's so ammonia diarrhea. I think Arjunas Vonderplatz, who you might well know. Um, yeah, sure. He he, there's a talk which I came across, and he mentions that there's a reason. It's a Indian uh, called uh, traditional yogic thing called Shivambu Shastra, which is the urine therapy. And they do it with neti pots in the morning to clear their nostrils out and uh, consume it or whatever. But he says it recycles the proteins uh, as much as anything. And so that's why it helps vegetarian in India where it's a heavy vegetarian diet. It helps recycle the proteins. Now, it might be the urea as well, of, of course, but it, it makes it, it's not since experimenting with it since eating meat. I, I just don't notice the, the difference. I haven't I've, maybe I haven't uh, experimented enough yet just to be deep, but I've just I haven't felt the need to at all. But when I was eating that way, it really helped me to sustain my veganism for longer, which is one of the things that, that upsets me with the way people have disregarded the efforts, the lengths I went to more than most vegans to make the diet work. And I've, and that's just gone, been blown back in my face because they think that's the reason there was issues, but I was just sensitive that there were issues before it. Now I think doing athletic endeavors may have fast forwarded my, my vegan potential and shortened the lifespan. And so people who are more sedentary can, can live longer, but, that's that's my choice as a human the one thing i came into this physical realm with was my body and so i want to put worship on that and i think that's there to teach us when we learn what is optimum for the body that's that's a teacher of, of the earth that teaches us things about the earth and so when i learn that consuming animal products is healthy that's teaching me things that i've got to look into within like you say that the death of the animal and our ancients had you know the art of the the animal sacrifice has been dearly lost and, and even just hunting like the carnival diet i find fascinating to me because it's like back in the day to eat that much uh, animal animal flesh you'd have to be the best hunter and to get the best quality meat you'd have to be even better to catch that animal and so we can sort of skip that and it's like a glitch or a, a cheat code is that you can just consume and buy this 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 animal product and 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 just have that that boost of energy which then reiterates you to be an even better hunter over and over like yeah, I mean, we, we definitely, I mean, the physiology hasn't changed. It's just the production methods have changed now. Yeah. We can deal with, I mean, we could not have 7 billion people out there hunting animals. It's not going to work. So we have a, you know, we have to, we have to reconcile our human physiology. But I mean, I think your point, I think it's a good point to saying that as a elite level athlete, and clearly you were acting as an elite level athlete, I mean, there's additional demands upon your body uh, and they are accelerated. I mean, Zach can attest to that. I mean, you know, you can't do high level athletics on a substandard diet and so therefore you know this this sort of need to supplement with what many vegans will do or, or even regular athletes just take tons of supplements and in your case maybe lack of getting enough you know protein or you know urea was something that you felt that you had this i mean because i've got no desire to drink urine <laughs> i mean I, you know i think i've got plenty of urea if that's if that's if that's what's making it uh yeah of benefit now let me ask it could, you it could be an external application it could be just the reason it comes out of the body is for the skin when we're in the the mother's womb uh, like 60 percent over the last six months we're, we're in our mother's urine and that's where we come out from yeah well i don't know maybe yeah, i mean there's you know the amniotic fluid fluid and you've got your own you know the baby's making its own urine so i mean you yeah. know it's, it's still so yeah there is some but that's i don't know what, what the urea content of amniotic fluid is i have to look that up but that is that is kind of interesting but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you, you're trying to do what worked and you were trying to stay true to the cause. Let me go back more into the, into the career because I want to sort of 
So at what point did you note that your athletic ability was mm -hmm. starting to decline relative to what it had been? Yeah. Um, so I think I did the two American Ninja Warriors as an American. I think I did one as a European, and then it was the year after that. So this is maybe three or four years ago now. And then I, I came back for a third year, but I got injured in the filming. I just didn't, I was in Vegas in that heat, you know, dehydrated, but I was, I was drinking enough water and I was, it was so confusing to me because I thought I eat better than all these other athletes and I can, I can barely recover. I, I, like, I was struggling from just filming the day before, you know, we filmed the, the B-roll, the stuff behind the scenes so they can show some shots of you training or whatever. And I got injured and my, my knee blew out. And I was doing, the, I got into running and I was doing fell races and my muscles just wouldn't recover. I wasn't, I just thought it was a human thing. Like I was new to the sports or whatever. And, and I blew my knee out and I just had surgery on that. And I just never quite got back. I could never get back to any run of athleticism. And I really loved running and I'd, I just, I couldn't train. I went for one run round here and my hamstring got so sore and I, did, I foam rolled it for about four hours afterwards to get it back to normal from one run. And I was like, I can't even run. And I'd see these like 60 year old people running past me or, or running and I'm walking down the street thinking, I wish I can run, they can run. And I get injured so easy running. And it got to a point where all I could really do was, I loved rock climbing as well, but I'd pull my muscle in my bicep and then, and then couldn't climb. And I started to, I did a lot of yoga and I got into more and more yoga, but then I'd, I pulled my groin doing, doing gentle practices. And then I'd, it would just last for months and it wouldn't recover. And it wasn't until I, I stopped being vegan and I tried the same practices and was like, well, that stuff wasn't normal. And a lot of the vegans wanted to say, you're just older. You've just got injuries from parkour and all this stuff. But as, as the human living those experiences, I was like, that is so frustrating to hear people say, you should just accept it. You're just searching for something that doesn't exist. I'm so glad I carried on searching because I was right to search because I found, I found a, a, a truth that brought me out of that, that cloudy state. And now I, I know what it's like. I'm starting to, it's taking months and you know, I'm not, don't think I'm, I'm fully recovered, but I'm really the last few months I've found some good turn of training and I feel like I'm making progress to go back to, to, to where I was, but I definitely sacrificed some of my peak years as an athlete. Um, and so I'm just applying myself intelligently now and working on, on foundations before I, I, I come harder with all this stuff again. But it, it was it was dismal to live a life and, and have that much just not be able to do the things that you love and just feel like you're being crippled as 30 year old man. And you're, you're eating the diet you believe to be the best in the world. It just made no sense. You know, it seems obvious from anyone being able to remove yourself from the life you're living and see it. And that's what the fast helped me do. It helped me remove myself. And see and witness and see. Look in the mirror. Look, it's not serving you. Yeah. So it sounds like you you got about two two to three years, and then you started to see this this problem. Yeah. And we had we had a guy named Bobby Risto on who kind of had a similar picture. He said a couple of years, and then he started to lose progress and started getting injuries, and it just became more and more common. We're seeing um, a obviously a surge in veganism among athletes now. I mean, you know, as you are, I'm sure, painfully and acutely aware. James Cameron's got a film coming out called Game Changers yeah. uh, in, I guess, this September. And you initially were to be in that film. And we so, filmed it. We filmed and, it. And I assume that you're, you will no longer be in the film, I'm guessing. I don't know. Can you tell me a little bit about that sort of situation yeah. and, and how, how that, that all transpired? Yeah, so Game Changers movie has been in the works for 
many years now and we literally filmed i had long hair at the time which anyone that's that's followed me that's years ago maybe more than three years now um and we filmed my section but they were getting all these different athletes the main vegan athletes and they'd filmed with alexi volyov who's one of the the few that i really looked up to as, as a representing the, the russian strong uh, arm wrestler bobstead guy and they filmed with me and the, the main host is british guy so they did a lot of filming in britain and we filmed over like two or three days this is just towards the tail end of my physical capacities as a free runner. Um, and then, yeah, years later, I, they're still filming it because each time veganism's growing, they're able to get tap into more and more resources. James Cameron's on board and helping them to uh, get other people on board as well. And it, it's growing and suddenly Arnold Schwarzenegger and everyone's in it. And I, I emailed them uh, to end of last year and just said, look you might want to take me out uh, I'm not eating before I came public with it I emailed them just because I didn't want to give them the heat on on their on their movie to be like you know this guy is suddenly not vegan kind of thing but honestly I, I think since then the film is so many people like Djokovic and Lewis Hamilton who are Djokovic I don't believe he's currently vegan uh, Lewis Hamilton he's very new to it if at all if he's still vegan as someone who's really lived it like lived veganism um I, that was one of my realizations was I looked around and thought I'm one of the top vegan athletes that people put on this vegan pedestal and I didn't feel that good and I looked around at these other athletes and thought these aren't really top of the draw they're not winning Olympic like 100 there's no Olympic gold medals right there's no real like there's, there's no one really truly representing compared to anyone that eats some animal products like I'm not even close so if this diet is supposed to be optimum and thriving and beyond what other people do it, it doesn't relate and there's, there's just no logic to it so it's interesting to see that they're making this movie and they're getting Arnold Schwarzenegger involved but he's got no experience in veganism um, so I'll put it to you I, I don't know if anyone out there wants to make I, I actually truly my beliefs now are probably similar to yours in the fact that I actually think it is a dangerous diet for most Westerners to do long-term. I think it's great as a short-term cleanse and, and I, I would warn people against it. And so if anyone wants to, you know, I feel like we've got a right to make a counter documentary um, that to, to, to just help warn people to, to not be so, you know, caught up in documentaries because they can be dangerous and can make people, you know, people don't think for themselves enough because the, the documentary can angle it with the right musics and emotional pull-ins to make people make a choice like I did. And I want to warn people from doing that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, films are very powerful. I mean, we have, you know, what the health and dominion and forks over knives and all these documentaries, which are very, they, they, they appeal to emotion. And there's a lot of obviously agenda driven stuff there. And James Cameron obviously is a, one of the best filmmakers in the world. I mean, he's he's going to obviously have a big impact on probably a lot of young kids. They're going to be out there inspired by that. They're going to see these athletes. And what they're not going to see is the Tim Sheaf that's three or four years into it where his athletic performance declines or the Novak Djokovic who has to give up veganism in 2016 because his, his health declined yeah, or the, I know you know, I mean, you just see it over and over again. We see, you know, we see all kinds of guys that do it for a year or two and then their, their, their performance declines. Well, and I just, uh, I think it's just a uh, unfortunate sort of bit of propaganda that's going to be out there. Did they, did they formally tell you that you were not in the movie? Was there ever a point where you're disinvited from the movie or being associated with the movie? Did, did that ever occur? I, I just I contacted them beforehand and said you might uh, you might want to take me out and so they had a Skype 
the Rangers Skype chat and I talked with them and they said, look, we can offer you some advice if you want to speak to this doctor or whatever to help you. I was like, my beliefs have changed. Like I've got a new understand. Life has led me to a completely different understanding. So, it's- and they're like, okay, cool. And so we've just, we've just, it was agreed that, you know, I, I asked them to take me out and they were, they're not going to leave me in after everything anyway. So it was sort of just agreed mutually. Yeah, Tim, I think one thing that's, that, I mean, you certainly will have a unique perspective on this and that I find kind of interesting is, and I kind of look at it in two different, two different angles is, you know, you, you're kind of engulfed in this lifestyle where the folks that you're kind of surrounded by are also in that lifestyle and it becomes bigger than just food. So like when you pull yourself away from that, it, it's got to be similar to like someone who had been like in a very strict religion for their entire life and then decides to separate where they feel like everyone around them now all of a sudden they're, they're an outsider too. So like you can, I'm sure you have experience where when you, you, you did the announcement with, or not announcement, but the, the meeting with the Game Changers folks and then eventually came public that you were no longer be vegan. Yeah, loads of people jump on and try to like, you know, poke holes in what you say or dismiss you or belittle you and outright slander your name. But then there's got to be a small portion of people that have been around that you kind of identify, okay, these were my true friends. These are the people that are going to, you know, ask me if I need help or ask how they can support me, even though I no longer support the same ideology that they did. Did you see that kind of as... A, a net win or is it just too early or too hard to really tease that out at this moment? That's a great question. I, I think, yeah, it's really helped me to identify those who are around me now that, because I know the strength of my spirit and who I am and my potential. And I feel like now I'm finally back in my lane, where I was at before and the human that was the champion at world at free running and all that stuff. I'm back in that lane. I took this side spiritual ego path, you know, and and I'm back in that lane. So with this stir up, it's helped shake anyone that wasn't around me. That's not meant to be around. I've still got some of my closest friends are vegan still, and that's fine. And we get along completely fine. Um, But it's been really helpful. Even one of the nicest things to come from it was Paul Cech reaching out because I really admire Paul Cech. And the one thing I disagreed with him on was some of his uh, views on veganism, you know, for years. And now, revisiting those videos and seeing it in a new light, it makes a lot more sense to me. And he actually saw my story as it was on the Huffington Post and reached out to me and got me on his podcast recently. And that's just really nice to me. I'm like, cool, because the people I really respect and, and even like Sean Baker, because I was watching his videos and yourself, Zach, seeing you do, I've, you know, I've been a fan of ultra for years. And I remember seeing the ultra athlete get the 100 mile record and I was like, yes, ultra. And then I was like, oh, but he eats carnivore. And I was vegan when I first saw that. <laughs> I was like, it was that conflict of like, I, I respected you, but then I didn't get that part of it. And then to come full circle and be like, these guys, I, I see the, the balance. Is Where is the balance? That's where, where the, the rationality is. And, and I now see the imbalance in most of the vegan community. And, and I see the balance in you guys and in, in, in Paul. And, and, and that's the people that, I just accept that those are the ones I'm, I'm around and meant to be around. And it's been really nice, like you say, in just distilling my life to the, the core, to those that are around me now, and even female friends and that, that stuck around through all the shit being said online. I'm like, cool, when, when we come forward again with this new awareness, this new nutrition knowledge, I, I know who was around from the right time. Do you, um, I mean, do you regret 
your time as a vegan? I mean, would you have, would you have said I would have just rather just skipped that, or do you think there's some good that came out of that? No, I, I'm really glad I did it every day of it. Um, I've learned so much about healing. I've learned so much just to maintain it. I learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about uh, being your own validation and not having to rely on others. I've learned a lot about trusting myself, my relationship with, with God and the universe and, and, and whatever. I'm grateful for it. I'm, I'm grateful for the chance. If I was to be able to remove myself from who I am, and not, not in an arrogant way, but I'm proud of how I've handled it as a human, of, of being speaking my truth and, and not being shying away because it would have been so easy for me to stay silent and just not be vegan but get up and get on but I, I actually don't want others to suffer and so I speak I went on British TV on a, a, a main TV channel and I got so much hate from vegans for doing it for saying veganism made me sick but I just want to help others not get caught in the same trap I did so if others can if my mind you know everyone's got to make their own mistakes but but I just wanted to undo anyone that's being influenced to be vegan by me. I want to at least them to hear Tim's not vegan and my justification and they can carry on being vegan if they want, or at least I've, you know, set the, I, I helped get this train in motion and it's really rocking at speed right now. And it's not, not the right train. And so I'm helping to slow it down. That's really the way I see it. Let me ask you, because many people will say that veganism is an ethos and it's not a diet. Can you still be a vegan and consume animal products? I mean, do you think if, if the ethos is to do the least harm, um, and I would, you know, my argument would be, you know, we have a regenerative system where you could potentially, if you really wanted to, and you wanted to spend the money, you could ensure that your animal that you ate was sourced from a humanely raised, you know, situation where you know a slaughter is done in a humane fashion you mm. kill the least amount of, of animals uh and i just wonder if that's not more in the spirit of being vegan than 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 sort of what many people associate veganism with where you where you eat a variety of foods from around the world to, to supplement your diet mm. knowing i mean i know they talk about intent but we know that that pesticides are sprayed on crops with the intent to kill animals we know that farmers are you know shooting animals and and you know things intentionally to to protect the food so what do you think about that set that sentiment that you could potentially live up to the ethos of veganism and still uh give your body what potentially it might need yeah i my goal with veganism was to make a conscious food choice and to do the least harm to the planet the animals and my health now that's a dance between all three. You can never go too heavy on one. You, you put an imbalance out. Now that's still my goal. Veganism was just the way for me to do it with my one understanding at that time. Now with the same goal and a new understanding, veganism is not the way for me to cause the least harm to animals, to the planet and to my health. So I have a local farm shop. We're, we're very lucky in England, I think, because you drive around and anytime you're in the countryside, all you see is fields filled with cows. Like they're, and they're happy, they're roaming free. We don't have the same like scale of factory farms that you do there. So of course the supermarket's selling cheap meat, but I've got the closest shop to me is a farm shop less than a mile down the road. I see all the chickens running around where I get the eggs from. The cows are from a, a, another local farm that they source in. And I used to walk in there as a vegan and you know, screw those butchers. It's my job to sort of, you know, in the ego way, like I'm going to take you guys out. You won't exist one day. And now they're my best friend. You know, it's like, 
that's all local stuff. And I see that. I, and I said this in an interview that, you know, a, a slab of organic beef might be the most vegan product in the supermarket because it's got the least amount of suffering. One cow, as we've probably been said a million times on this show, one, and you've said it many times, one cow could last you three months, six months, whereas you buy some lettuce and that might kill five flies in a slug or something. And it's like, if you have got this speciesism mentality species you know trying to prevent speciesism as a vegan which was a part of my mentality my beliefs shift but i still think if that's your goal then maybe eating meat is is a, a more ethical solution because as you say that they spray the, the fields with pesticides they put poisons out and this poison kills these rats over three days or whatever and they have their hot these horrible deaths and when they crop the the fields it kills all the mice and the rodents and the insects and all the birds. My friend who owns the farm and, and when they, whenever they harvest, he says all the birds are flying, all the birds of prey are stalking above the harvester, waiting for all the dead animals to be churned up and they just go and pick them out. So there's, there's no cruelty-free diet, but it, at least I think the one that caught, kills the least animals isn't a vegan diet, unless you're gardening yourself and growing your own crops. I, say, I used to say only vegans can judge me. Now I'd say only vegan gardeners could judge me because they have a different understanding but then who is a vegan there aren't many vegan gardeners who can live solely off of their own produce yeah i think Lear keith wrote about that in her book the vegetarian myth where you know she talked about trying to not kill animals planting her own garden and even then she 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 just couldn't do it i mean she was killing at least yeah. insects you know constantly so yeah. uh so i mean obviously just just existing having food has an impact and you know certainly the the counter argument would be well the cows eat crops and the crops also have to be protected and therefore doing that but again there are options out there to bypass that system i mean certainly in the uk certainly in the u.s so if your ethics lead you there you do have um sort of that uh that capacity for sure do you find and this is something that uh bobby Risto mentioned he said that there was a lot of sort of artificial support for the vegan movement that is to say there's a lot of companies that are sort of sort of almost sponsoring people to 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 to, to kind of get that vegan product out there and there's a financial uh, it's not an organic movement or, or it's not it's growing in a way that is um more aligned with uh, corporate financial interests rather than the true sort of call to minimize animal suffering. Do you see that there's some conflict of interest going on with that right now? Or, or were you approached? Did you notice that that was, that was something that people had approached you about? Not, not enough. I'm not, I didn't make the money from veganism that people think I did. I left at the wrong time. If that was my goal, for sure. Um, it's, it's turned a corner. I, in, I don't mean to be so, cruel but i it feels like the the devil's got veganism now like it used to be a pure movement with the best intentions and it turned a corner in the last 12 months i think especially in england seeing the commercial products the way they're proud to put vegan before stuff wouldn't be labeled vegan but you'd look and it might be a vegan product now they're so proudly labeling vegan on everything and as you say that there's more people with with incentives it's turned a corner. It's, it's become commercial and uh, it's, it's a big profit spinner. And it's not, we've been caught with our pants down with it. It's like, like I've said many times before, you, you can go to the supermarket and you can buy a vegan Ben and Jerry's ice cream now. And to think that that's helping the planet compared to me buying local eggs or something is absurd, or even local dairy, like buying some cream from the local farm. The amount of production that goes into that, into making that product and the amount of 
pesticides and, and deforestation and then crop grows and then uh, harvesting the crops and the, the crop deaths and then the production line and then the shipping across the oceans and the, even the cardboard packaging and then the plastic to, to seal that in. It's insane to, that, that we can't look at this and go, even if, if you are a vegan to live in the, the, the denial that a lot of them do now, not every, not all of them do. And I get lovely messages from vegans who say, I support you, whatever you do. And you know, it's beautiful that, that those people are still, still there within that community, but a lot of them are in such denial that it is the only way and the only solution and that everyone else is murdering animals and is arrogant. And it's, it's just that they need to do a lot of, no one needs to do anything right but it, the spiritual work and the the work i did to know myself more and more has has freed me from that and so i've seen a lot of spiritual people and athletes leaving veganism and and there's a new understanding that that's hitting parallel to this commercial wave that's also coming so i, I feel like i got out of veganism like getting out of bitcoin at the peak like i got out at the right time because it's 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 imploding from the inside as those on the internet see it happening but in the commercial world, in the mainstream, they don't realize it. And I, I still get surprised. There are people that aren't vegan that, that because they listen to other shit that's been said, they think it's my fault that veganism failed. But people that have never been vegan that still believe veganism to be healthier because of the propaganda, because of Dr. Gregor and all them, even though they've never tried it, they're like, I wish I could be vegan. But they, they, they have that belief there that it, that it is the healthiest. But I think it's turned a corner and, and I'm, I'm, I'm out because my health needed me to leave. Yeah, what was, I mean, I know you also, because you were the, actually the, I mean, if not, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, you were the founder of this company, Ethics, the clothing line, and they said, see you later, Tim, you're not vegan, you can't be part of this. How did that go down? So I founded a clothing company about four years ago, and we released a t-shirt. I didn't like all the vegan merchandise, which was like, meat is murder. I was never an aggressive vegan like that. So I made the word Nagiv backwards on a t uh, so it's vegan backwards on a t-shirt right so i thought it's subtle it's not in your face those who get it get it but those who don't get it you're not shouting at them and i thought it was i was trying to be the, the nicer vegan you know not not trying to be it was like a gentle vegan like trying to be and so it did well i just sold it to my put it out on youtube it did well and, and a few years later the company grew and grew and i'd got my best friend involved and uh, another friend got on board and uh we, we ran it, we got an office space and we were selling decent amount every month. Now it's not the biggest margins. It was enough to, to live. But for the last two years, I had a small salary, which I was able to live in, in this flat in Derby. Uh, I moved out of London to run the business because I couldn't afford to live in London and run the business. It would, would have been way too expensive. So I moved back to run the business, to focus on veganism as the message. And, and that was my life and my body was shutting down. So all I could do was promote this company and, and work on the company to, to live. Like it's, I couldn't do the physical stuff, the athletic stuff as much. And so I told them I'm, I'm eating animal products again and thought, you know, these guys are my friends, they'll understand. And to some degree they did understand, but it was weird the way the next time I saw them after the story of telling them my story to eat, eat meat again, they, there was this look in their eye like I'd they'd lost all respect for me and I died or something. It was a really weird energy feeling that to, to, to lose that much respect from people in one where they, you know, they hold you one way and you're suddenly, I'm out. And my intent, I thought I didn't really fully sense the, the height of this issue for a while. And so we carried on for a few months and worked out how 
is this going to be me long term? Am I really going to do this? And then, okay, if so, how are we going to to work with the company? My intention was let's stop selling the vegan merchandise and just sell because we were we started to sell many clothing that that didn't have a vegan message. They were just nice artistic designs with the with the word ethics on it. And for me, ethics was never about just veganism. It's about what is ethical to you. We removed the I because I is I is the self, the ego, and it's like what what is the, what is your ethics? But I don't I won't judge you for your ethics but this never really translated to the vegans. They thought that they played it a different way. Um, but then, anyway, I said, let's stop selling the vegan merchandise and we'll just focus on the clothing that's ethical, ethically sourced, organic materials, and, and then we'll carry on the company. Now, main, main of our audience was vegan, is vegan. I realized eventually they didn't like that idea and that it was best for me just to leave. So I... I spoke with some people they spoke with some people and basically i managed to to move on and remove me 100 percent my ties from the company and i get on with my life now i got my health back i'm back to my to getting back to physicality so i have faith in the future and and can can focus on that but it's all i could do to live at the time but now i used to be a full-time athlete and professional athlete getting paid from sponsors and commercials and things like that that started to come back and I've started to get opportunities to that and I'm doing that again and, and, and I can get back to just back in my lane being a, a healthy athletic human. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to go back to that, you know, because this is interesting and I've seen this and I, and I almost find it almost even incredible or, or somewhat hard to believe, but maybe it's true. But I mean, you know, you had the experience of, you know, you the first day you had back in animal products with eggs and salmon and you regain some you know sexual function or whatever i mean i've seen that a number of people making that's that that statement i think it was the actress Anne hathaway said she had some some salmon and it felt like her brain just rebooted and so i just uh, i just find yeah. that really interesting that, that 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 sort of effect happened so quickly so acutely so talk a little bit about you know what happened in the early stages of reintroducing re- reintroducing it and how has your diet sort of sort of evolved over the last six months or so or however long this has been going on what are you, where are you at today versus you talk about the transition away from veganism yeah. from a mental and a physical standpoint and then where are you, where are you at currently today with your with your health and your and your, and your diet yeah so started out with some salmon and eggs with a with a salad and i spoke to a few of my friends and they were like i don't even want the salad anymore like they're just eating the animal products and, and looking into keto i soon went went keto and felt this this uh energy and this joy and woke i woke up happy and and this it was amazing feeling but it was hard to maintain because i'd get caught up eating too much creamed coconut or something that would make me feel not so good just and i didn't want to just eat eat the animal products but i i sensed that there was something to this this ketogenic and I was listening to podcasts like yourself and some Dr. Augustine and so on, on Joe Rogan and or whoever was on that, um, which doctor he had on. But and it, there was something to it. And so I, I started with ketogenic. And when I'd introduced plants or even fruit, I'd really suffer. Uh, and so I went back and forth for a bit. And then actually in, Jan, in January, I experimented uh, privately. I went uh, carnivore for the month. It was my intention. And that was a really interesting experience. Now, now, first off, I had to get over the, the ethical hurdle as, as a vegan. That took a while to really see that it, it is not less ethical, at least where my belief stands for now, because things can always change. But 
to see it as okay and allow myself to eat animal products freely and not hold back. And so doing that through January was fascinating. And I, I ate some dairy then, and that was interesting to discover. I could eat half, you know, half a liter, or I don't know what that is in, in ounces, a whole tub of cream and gain zero fat. I was the most shredded I'd been as an adult when I was consuming nothing but animal products. I was uh, sat at 75 kilos, shredded, doing CrossFit. Now, the one thing that was interesting was I did, I burnt out energetically a lot, but my, my muscles never felt, I never felt DOMS. I never felt muscle soreness while I was on carnivore diet. It seemed like muscle soreness was a product of inflammation of the gut when we consume plant products. But I would get my, uh, cardio my central nervous system would get fatigued or my my I don't know, my heart would feel tired i'd wake up some days with zero energy and that could be you know the adaption process or i was pushing it too hard i was trying to do running and crossfit and all this stuff, stuff at once i was trying to get back to and you know coming off the fast 35 day fast it takes it can take a year or more more to really recover from that kind of levels of depth you're going to um but it was a fascinating experiment. And like I say, I never felt muscle soreness. And it was really a unique thing as a human to experience. And I would recommend any human that's open to trying to get to that stage. Um, and then coming forward, I, I came out the month, I reintroduced some carbohydrates and avocados. And I, I played around for a bit. But now I'm really sat at a pretty happy space. I'm eating whole food. I'm not ketogenic, but I eat um, fish and eggs once a day. And then lately I started, I stopped eating red meat for a while, but I just remembered the feeling of eating the ribeyes from the local local farm shop. And I was, let me get back to that because I started to eat more mince food or, you know, the, you cook the burgers up or I had, I had turkey mince was my, was the closest thing to red meat I had for a while. But I went back to the local ribeyes and I started to feel even better again. And so somewhat now I'm eating uh, ribeyes with eggs and then in the evening, maybe I'll have uh, some salmon or a little bit like what, one slice of salmon and eggs. And I'll have one main big meal and one smaller meal. And then I will occasionally, I still buy like a, a vegan ice cream because I do feel better without the dairy. Uh, I won't eat gluten and uh, I'll drink water. I'll eat two main meals a day. I'll have like carrot and peanut butter or apple and, and apple and peanut butter, but I'm eating so much less fruit than I was eating before. Um, I started doing longevity supplements. I don't know if you've heard of longevity and Dr. Joel Wallach. And they've really helped because I, I, they've helped me somehow to be able to eat anything other than animal products and be fine. It seems like within my experience of it, that that's, that's helped. So I am supplementing now. I'm not in complete denial of that. And I feel like that's been helping me for now. Um, but there's some, something really healing that for this day and age with all the battles we're fighting with the Wi-Fi's and, and sitting down sedentary and, and everything that, that we need the maximum help we can get. And I just feel like plant foods cause some disruption in the digestion that, that affects the whole body when you eat, especially when you overconsume, like I was, and just to feel satiated, that was one of the biggest realizations when I first consumed animal products was that voice was gone. This hunger, this shouting at me, Tim, you need to keep eating. You need to keep eating. And eventually when you eat the right thing, that stops, you know, go figure. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, and Zach has experienced that too, a relative decrease in soreness when he, when he goes a little closer to the car. And I, I've, yeah. I've been saying that for years now. I mean, I train, very hard and you know i've adapted so i can train pretty hard and i rarely get sore which is kind of kind of refreshing particularly as you get you, yeah. know, you get up into the years and you get in your 50s and that sort of stuff but um it's good that you found a place that works for it i mean i think that's that's important from the health standpoint because i i would maintain that a sick human is going to be more environmentally draining than a healthy one is and so if we have a healthy population of strong robust people we're going to be 
a net positive for the environment in many, many different ways. And so that's, I mean, that's good to, good to see. Zach, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll just make a comment on the muscle soreness one because I think this is one of the more interesting, like, phenomenons, maybe you'd call it, yeah. with the kind of low-carb or keto, and then certainly carnivore fits within that umbrella is, like, because people often, I don't think, can wrap their head around what people mean by that. And um, the way I kind of describe it is, remember back when you were in, like, elementary school or middle school, you could run around, work, essentially work out all day long, and no one ever remembers being sore when they were in middle school or in elementary school. It's like somewhere along the line, you get old enough and I guess maybe broken down enough where you start to notice those kind of aches and pains. And then it's almost like a reversion back to that where I can go do a huge workout and the next day I might, I'll be subpar relative to what I was after that big workout, but it's not like this debilitating soreness where like every time you flex that muscle, it's just like this sharp pain, that sort of doms feeling that delayed onset muscle syndrome type feeling that kind of goes away. And, um, the only thing I can really attribute to that would be, I guess, a reduction in swelling perhaps, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, and it's hard for people to wrap their minds around, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear when other people have that same experience. Cause I think as we kind of, you know, populate more and more anecdotes about that sort of thing, we can start kind of wrapping our heads around what's actually going on. Yeah. It was fascinating, and I, and it was a, a real amazing experience, and it made me give me a different understanding of muscle soreness. It just felt like, oh, that's inflammation, and that's linked to the food I'm eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's been great having you on, Tim. Thank you a bunch for for taking some time out of your day or your evening or morning, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, to come on the show. So like, if you have anything you want to share in terms of like where people can find you, like website, social media, or anything like that, feel free to do so. And we'll make sure to put it to show notes as well. Yeah, I'd say to, uh, my Instagram at human Timothy, because I call myself human because it's, I'm not vegan Timothy. You know, it's, it's a human journey. All I know that is I'm a human. And even one day, maybe I'll end up to be a robot inside or something. But <laughs> at human Timothy, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y on Instagram, um, and then YouTube, if you search Tim the Human, it'll come up. And, and once I'm back in, you know, I'm in a phase of learning right now and I'm working on myself and, and I'll come back within the right time and, and hit with some, some heat, hopefully, on YouTube and some, some physical fun stuff. Um, can I ask you one question, Zach? Yeah, absolutely. About uh, just because just I think it's fascinating and you may have covered it and forgive me if you, you, you have before, but. Scott Jurek, I really admire him and I loved his book, uh, Eat and Run, I think it was. And um, it really inspired me at the time. What do you think to someone like him who's obviously achieving good things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a good question. Uh, it, it definitely comes up from time to time, not always necessarily on this podcast, but just in general. And you know, a couple of things I think about with Scott is, uh, first of all, like, I mean, Scott knows his body. certainly way better than I do. So I, I try not to like, necessarily project my thoughts onto what he's feeling. So if he tells me he's feeling great and, you know, doing everything right and is hundred percent, I'll, I'll take his word for it. Um, where I think like there's maybe some, some curious things around, not just Scott Jerk, but anyone kind of following a similar trajectory that he did is, um, he'll, he's open to tell you that his diet wasn't necessarily good before he switched to a vegan diet. So, and I mean, you can say this with a variety of nutritional approaches where, and you even mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, you went from kind of just like, you know, eating whatever you wanted and then you switched to vegan and you notice changes because perhaps the vegan approach in the short term was much better for you than what you were doing before. So you noticed, uh, you know, 
uh, a relative improvement. Um, so maybe there was something there. Uh, you know, Scott Jerk, like, you know, he retired essentially from ultra marathon running. I, I want to say right around 40, maybe a little bit before that. And I mean, that's not a knock on him for retiring early. I think most people start to kind of regress in their athletic performances at that point. But for me, when we're going to enter a conversation of whether someone's nutrition plan is, is really, really optimal for them, we need to be looking at the people who are excelling at elder ages. We need to be looking at people in their forties and fifties, yeah. not the people who were great in their twenties and thirties and then retired because, you know, any, you get, a lot of people can eat, eat like suboptimally in their twenties and thirties and excel. And, you know, I caution people that with me too, because, you know, I'm, I'm 33, so I fit in that window too. So the jury's, the jury's out on me with that same parameter. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally open to that being uh, a topic of conversation, but, um, that's what I say when I'm telling people when they're look, looking at kind of Scott Jurek's approach is, look, I mean, if you want to try it and you notice you feel great, you know, you're not going to hear me, you know, trying to talk you out of it unless you come to me and ask me to poke holes in your approach. I'll do my best <laughs> to poke holes just like I would in any approach. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think you got to look at the whole picture and kind of see kind of how that stuff is, how that stuff is progressing over time. But, I mean, in terms of race results and things, it's, uh, you know, you can't really – argue with Scott Jerk's, uh, you know, success in his resume when he was competing. Yeah. I would just be interesting if someone like him would just introduce some eggs or some salmon, like those main things. You never, that's one thing I'd I'd like to just leave with is if you are vegan, you, you think you're optimum, but if you were open enough to just remove yourself from the situation and try, if, if optimum was your goal, if you just try some animal products, if you don't feel better, go back to vegan. But if you feel something, then there's a clue there that there could be another way that's more alignment with the, the true nature of, that, of who we are. Yeah. And I think to a degree, we're going to need people like that to try that in order for us to really get a good grasp of it. Like, I mean, that's how we would find out essentially would be if we'd have some folks who are uh, like open-minded enough to uh, like do that, you know, someone who's been a 10 year vegan who had a great athletic career, reintroduce some eggs, reintroduce some salmon, reintroduce some red meat and, and give us our, their honest feedback and just kind of see what, what, what happens with that. I think that'd be interesting. So, um, any, any vegans interested, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll frontline you on the show. <laughs> well, Tim, thanks again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I think you've inspired a lot of people, and hopefully you'll continue to do so. We look forward to your return to athletics. And, uh, you know, I mean, you just kind of have a sort of a, a realistic approach, and I, and I think you've been very sincere, and I, th- I hope people understand that. And I certainly respect what you've done both as a vegan and now as an ex-vegan. So continue continue doing what you do, and, and, and we'll, we'll look forward to and wish you the, the, the most success that you can have. Thank you so much, both of you guys. I really respect you, you both, and thanks, Sean, for your, the balance that you bring to your regular YouTube videos. I, I like watching them when they pop up, and that helped me and, and Zach keep representing um, and doing what you're doing. And, yeah, I bought some Ultras the other day. I ended up buying some in the end. The, uh, yeah, so... I, uh, there's a lot of alignments there. So, yeah, keep doing your thing, guys, and I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, Tim. Yeah, and, and let me know. We'll get you hooked up. I got a, I got a contact now. I think you can get some stuff to you in the UK. So That'll be great. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. All right. See you soon. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing, and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, 
please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.